Hey, I want to welcome all of you to Rockbridge Community Church. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. So in any of our five locations, I, I want to say thank you for being here. So Hickson, Calhoun, Chatsworth, Ringgold, Dalton, fired up that y'all are here as we kick off a new series called Ezra, The Way Back. So if you need uh, help finding that in your Bible or on your smartphone or you can look on the screen with me, you can go ahead and turn to Ezra chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament before you get to Psalms. Uh, as, as we move forward, though, I want to share three things or three areas that you can join with us in prayer, and we'll open our, our message here, praying together as one church in, in uh, five locations. First, these are some of the prayer requests that kind of a sampling of the prayer requests that came in to our church through those blue Next Step cards or online or that you submitted maybe through a small group that got to our, our prayer teams. And here's some of them. Maybe you want to grab one of these in just a moment and you want to stand in the gap and pray for that particular person or that particular need. Maybe one of those represents kind of where you are or how you need prayer and know that we're going to be praying for you. And uh, incidentally, I, I just love the transparency of someone saying, hey, I'm just mad at God and, and, and he's big enough to handle it and we're going to pray that uh, he, he, he leads you through it. Uh, second thing to pray about is we have Disciple Now, one of the biggest things that we do for our young people, our, t our, our 6th through 12th graders, and Fearless is coming up. You can register online at uh, rockbridge.cc event slash dnow. That's March 8th through the 10th. And, and then the third thing that I want to ask you to pray about is your response today to the message that you're about to hear. Now, we're going to give our all 33,000-plus adults <clears throat> or teenagers and adults at all of our locations an opportunity. So in whatever venue you're in, just go ahead and look, and you're going to see crosses set up. Generally, to the left or right of the platform, if you're in the Wink Theater, be left and right down front, one in the middle, and then one in the balcony area. So just go ahead and look there, find that, because we're going to have an opportunity as a church to respond to God, but we're going to need God's help to respond in a way that would honor him. So three areas of prayer, the prayer request for one another, disciple now, and then our response, your response, my response to what God's going to say to us in Ezra, the way back. Let's pray together. God, right now, we just want to stand in the gap for our, our friends, our family, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, God, who are struggling, who have said, hey, pray for me because of grief, or I'm angry, or I, or I have addiction issues or marriage issues. God, we stand in the gap right now and ask your grace and mercy from the throne of heaven only because of Jesus Christ. We ask that that grace and mercy flow to those people and those situations. God, we lift up the hundreds and hundreds of teenagers and disciple now and youth workers and our speaker and our band, God, and we are praying for a fresh wind, a fresh wave of your Holy Spirit to just encounter the next generation and set them on fire for Christ and impact them, God, not just for a weekend, but for their entire eternity. And then, God, we sit here right now as your people about to open your word, a word that you inspired by your Holy Spirit and authored through people. And God, we just want to find ourselves humble and teachable so that when this message concludes, we're responsive, God, that we respond to what you reveal, we respond to what you say. So Holy Spirit, we just want to give you free reign in us. If we came in here, God, with any distraction, any pride, any I have to be in control and I have to have the steering wheel, I just pray we'd lay that down right now and we'd open ourselves up to your spirit, to your influence and we'd be responding today to you, King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
and amen. So uh, here's an interesting thing. All, all of us have heard this word called agenda, right? And, and we have an agenda, right, that we want maybe an agenda for our kids, an agenda for our marriage, uh, an agenda of the day. And, and, and if you really think about it, ask yourself this question, what sets my agenda, what, what, what sets my agenda? What, what causes me to move forward? What causes me, what effect, what sets the agenda for my outlook, my hope? What sets the agenda for my attitude? What sets <coughs> the pace, the direction uh, of my life? And, and, if, and if we're not careful, a, a lot of us would simply say, hey, life or the life that I want to have sets my agenda. And with nowhere in here does God factor in. And so when we walk in here, you know, we want really what we want in our flesh and in our lives that exist apart from God. What we really want is God to bless our agenda more than we really want to be about his agenda. And so we're going to start this series that goes through a book of the Bible, which I like to do at least once a year. We just stay in one book for several, several, several weeks. A great time for you to read the Bible along with us. It's a great book. It's easy to understand. It's a little squirrely in chapter four, but I'll make that make sense for you. Um, so Ezra is about a people who have let anything but God set their agenda, and they receive an invitation. It's the way back to God's agenda, and that's going to be our invitation for this series as well. So a little bit of background before we open the Word of God. The book of Ezra was written in the, what we call the post-exilic period. For 70 years, Israel rebelled against God and went on their own agenda, and God said, all right, I'm going to just give you over to it. They were conquered by Babylon. They were exiled throughout the Mediterranean, North Africa, and into modern-day Iraq in the capital area of Babylon, where our story will center around today. Originally, Ezra was one book with the book of Nehemiah. They, they kind of go hand-in-hand covers a time period from 539 B.C. to 430 B.C., so about 100 years, a little more than 100 years. And there's three things that get rebuilt in these two books, or this one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, the temple and the altar, the wall around the city, and really the city, <coughs> excuse me, the city itself. So that's an overview of the book of Ezra. So the book of Ezra picks right up where the book of 2 Chronicles ends with a statement about who's leading really God's people, the Jewish people, the Israelites. If you've ever looked through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, the divisions of the book or the transitions of the book are really about the different kings of, of Israel or Judah, the kingdom of the north, the kingdom of the south, after the kingdom divided a couple of reigns after the king of David. This book, Ezra, opens not with a Jewish king, but with a pagan king, which says in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. So here's what this means, or here's how this clues us in. Israel is essentially on another agenda. They have rebelled and resisted and sinned against God, and God put them under, or, uh, under a, a ba the Babylonian king or the Persian king as those kingdoms changed hands. And so King Cyrus is in charge, which tells you something's got, gone wrong. Somehow, <coughs> Israel has drifted, rebelled, and sinned <coughs> because they're not under a Jewish king. They're under the king of Persia. But Ezra draws our attention to something. 
In order to fulfill the word of the Lord, so God's agenda comes back into play. So we're under the agenda of King Cyrus. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken through Jeremiah, something God said in his word through one of his prophets at least a hundred years or so before these actual events, the Lord roused or caused or motivated the spirit of the King Cyrus, not the Jewish king, the pagan king, to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom. So God takes a pagan non-Jewish king and God rouses his spirit to fulfill his agenda that he's laid out in his word. So there's two agendas that we see going on here, but the agenda of God always trumps the agenda of mankind. The agenda of God always prevails, and God is committed to fulfilling his agenda. He's more committed to filling, fulfilling his agenda than my agenda or your agenda. And he will use his power, his sovereignty, whatever it may be, to accomplish his agenda and his plan. We see glimmers of this in, in the New Testament where it says this, that according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, that God is going to adhere to his agenda and his purpose and his plan. Now, when Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 says the prophet Jeremiah, let me tell you what he's referring to. Some of you, we're going to read a verse, and it's probably some of your favorite verses or your life verse, because you'll, you'll recognize it. But he's referring to a prophecy that Jeremiah made that says, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, so you're going to be in exile for 70 years, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place, to bring you back to Jerusalem, to bring you back to where you left, where you rebelled, where you drifted, where you chose your agenda over mine. I'm going to bring you back because my agenda, God says, will prevail. For I know, and here's the verse a lot of you maybe memorized or heard before, for I know the plans I have for you. I know my agenda. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being and not your disaster to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me when you find, when you search me for me and you with all, when you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's what we've been doing as a church, as I talked about last week. We've been in a posture of seeking God, recognizing maybe we as a people of God have drifted from the fear of the Lord, drifted from the agenda of God. Maybe we've pursued our own agenda. Maybe we've grown complacent. Maybe we've grown lukewarm. Maybe we've grown too casual. Maybe we've become too superficial. Maybe we've gotten too flippant. Maybe we've gotten too eh, apathetic. And so what stands out here in the first couple of verses of Ezra, and he hearkens back to this prophecy, this promise of Jeremiah, is not so much the faithfulness or the perfection or the goodness of the people of God, but rather the faithfulness of God, that God will always be true 
to himself, that's who he is by essence, who he is in terms of his attributes, and to his word or to his promises, that God can't lie, that God can't be anything other than just and holy, merciful, and gracious. This means that God is often faithful to you and me in spite of you and in spite of me. This is why we have hope as sinners and rebels, because God is a God of mercy and God is a God of grace. He has to always act consistent with who he is. You and I don't act consistent with who we are, never. None of us are 100% anything, right? None of us have 100% integrity. None of us are 100% patient. None of us are 100% forgiving. None of us are 100% gracious. None of us are 100% good or consistently good. God has to be always true to his word. That's what's written in Jeremiah that Ezra brings us back to. And his attributes, which is his attributes of faithfulness. He is going to be true to that. I I remember one time just in my own life. And I was sort of in Babylon. Babylon, always in the Jewish mind, becomes a word synonymous with evil and being apart from God. We might say today, man, I'm down in the dumps a Jew might say, I feel like I'm in Babylon. So Matt was in Babylon. I, was, I remember I was pulled up in the Chatsworth campus at that time. We were at Bagley Middle School. And I'm like, God, you're so faithful. Not, not, not faithful circumstantially that, God, you got me out of a mess. But I was, I was just convicted with my sinfulness. I was convicted uh, of how I sometimes preferred Babylon than anything else. And I'm like, God, you're just faithful because you're still working on me. There's no reason in me for you to even care and pay attention. But it's got to be all because you are a God of love. You are a God of commitment. And when I made my commitment to you, Lord, when I was eight years old, you promised to complete a good work in me. Even when I've said, "Uh -uh." God, you're faithful. And so here we are in Ezra verse 1 with just this resounding symbol that God is faithful to his word and to his character 100% of the time. 100% of the time. And and so, again, it says, here's how God began to be faithful to his word to bring his people back after 70 years. He rouses the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout the entire kingdom and to put it in writing. And here's what it said. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the Lord God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. And it's likely, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, that they show that King Cyrus read Isaiah 44, 28, that the temple would be rebuilt in his reign. And so he read that, and the word of God, any of his people, he says, you can go back. You don't have to stay here in Babylon anymore. He says, any of his people among you may, be, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And then he goes a step further. He says, let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, and livestock. So all the Babylonians, you chip in and you help fund their trip back to the promised land. So he just begins to open all these doors, and he says, also, make a free will offering for the house of God in Jerusalem so they can rebuild it. This is how faithful God is. God says, look, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to act in accordance with who I am. He can't help but do that. 
You and I have a choice sometimes. Do we tell the truth or not? God doesn't have that choice because he has perfect integrity. He's a God of truth. Sometimes we're like, I don't know if I want to honor that commitment, so I'll call in sick, even though I'm not really sick. God never calls in sick on forgiveness and grace and love and mercy and faithfulness because that's just who he is. He can't be anything other than that. So here's the faithfulness of God opening up a door. A big, wide, massive door. What's the, who's the door for? Any of his people. Any of his people can go back. Can go back to the land of promise. So God's faithfulness creates the opportunity, the possibility for people to exercise faith. For people to exercise faith. For people to move onto the agenda of God. Now, now here's the dilemma. I want everybody to listen to me. Faith does not mean does not mean you believe in God. Satan believes in God. King Cyrus believed in God. Faith is when we really get down and say, hey, can God be trusted in everything and in every way? Now, this is important. Listen, listen, listen. Can God be trusted? Yes or no? And then can God be trusted in everything and every way? Some of you might say, Matt, I, I trust you, Matt. You don't trust me to do your taxes. You wouldn't trust me to take out your appendix. So I can't be trusted in everything and every way. Some of you could look at God like you'd look at me. You would never let me do your taxes. You'd never let God touch your money. Some of you are like, hey, God, I trust, you. I, I trust you. I don't trust you with my sex life. I don't trust you with my business. I don't trust you with my marriage. So here, faith is God. Can you be trusted in everything and in every way? Most of you are going to trust God at your funeral. You don't have an option. When you go to the hospital and the doctor says there's nothing you can do, then okay, now I'm trusting God. <clears throat> but on your everyday journey, eh, does God's faithfulness give you an opportunity to exercise faith? Here's faith. I trust God so much I'll do what he says. I trust God so much I'm going to hope in what he promises. I'm going to hope in what God promises more than I hope in what money, power, sex, career... Uh, anything else promises. And I'm going to, I trust God in everything, in every way to receive what he provides. Sometimes you get mad at God because you're, you're mad because of what God, God is not giving instead of receiving what he is giving. So God, through his faithfulness, opens up this big door, a big opportunity for the people of Israel. And so here's really what faith is. Here's the definition. Faith is trusting God enough to move in a direction that can at times appear foolish and risky. That can at times look, appear bold and can go against the status quo. You've been in Babylon for 70 years. You've been in Babylon for 70 years. Go to the promised land. And then let me tell you what happened. While the Jews <clears throat> were in Babylon, they, there was a transition in how they made a living. When they were in Jerusalem and, and Israel, they were mostly shepherds and Farmers and agrarian people, when they went to Babylon, they became shopkeepers and business owners. To this day, there's a stereotype of Jewish people being savvy businessmen and businesswomen. That comes from their time in Babylon. 
That comes from their time in Babylon. So, because the king and the leaders of Babylon let them just sort of live their life and make money and prosper in Babylon. So, you're going to leave a successful business. You're going to leave all that behind. You're going to leave 70 years of history. So, trusting God enough to move in a direction that appears foolish, risky, bold, and against the status quo. You moving, you know, you're like a teenage dude or a single dude, and your biology wants one thing. But you know, faith in God says only the pure in heart will see God. Which direction you go? Money appears to be a source of identity and power. It's what the world says. It's what People Magazine says. It's what MTV Cribs says. But God says it's his money and you need to give and generously. And you can't get out give him. So you start giving your money. Well, that appears foolish, risky, bold, and it goes against the status quo. That's what faith is. So there's a choice that's presented, see, to the Jewish exiles. It's a choice that's presented to us today. Do we prefer the land of promise or the land of Babylon? Do we prefer the land of promise or do we prefer the land of Babylon? That's the wrestle, right? That's the, that's the choice. That, that's the tension that we feel. It, it, what's going to happen? And, and it's a little bit like this when, when you start thinking about faith in God, all right? We like... The, f- the funnel goes this way for us. And let me illustrate this. We, lo- we think, man, I've got all these choices. And we love choices, right? We love to be in control. And, and we have this big wide end of the funnel. And this is kind of how we live our lives, right? Uh, of just where we start. All these options, all these pursuits, all these things. I want to maintain my control, okay? And then when we do it that way, and we just, all these options for what sets the agenda, eventually we get restricted and we get exiled into sin or attitudes and habits and hangups and hurts that we really don't need to hold on to. What God does is he flips the funnel and he says, do it one way. Do it the way of faith. But that is the way of freedom and blessing. So God starts with that one thing. And it leads to something greater and abundant and beautiful, the journey of faith. But we want to start it up here. And I just want all these options. Faith restricts that option initially and then opens up into the land of promise. So what will happen? Babylon or promise? What you know, what you've always done, the place your sin and rebellion and exile landed you, or the place God has for you? So, that's the word of response. What you and I are going to have an opportunity to do in a few minutes is respond. So, the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, everyone who was gripped by the promise of God, everyone who was willing to quit looking at Babylon and all its options of God and promise and journey to the promised land. Everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All their neighbors supported them with silver and articles of gold and goods and livestock and valuables. In addition to all that was given as a freewill offering, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar plundered the temple of God. Cyrus opens it back up and said, it's, your, it's yours, take it back. And had, good, and had placed in the house of his gods and he gave it back to the God. And so then it says, go into chapter 2, these now are the people of the province who came from those captive exiles King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had deported to Babylon 
And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And it was 42,360 minus some servants. Depends on how they count it. So 42,000 people moved forward. 42,000 people said, I'm going to leave what I know. I'm going to leave Babylon. I'm going to leave all, you know, the life and all these choices. There's only one thing I can do. The word of God has gripped me and I'm going to go back to the land of promise. And here's the, here, here's, the, here's the dissection of how faith works. Faith or spiritual movements always begin with the Word of God. Always begins with the Word of God. You go to, book, to the book of Genesis, and what happened? God spoke, and creation came into existence. God spoke things into existence. Jesus preached a gospel. Paul preached a word. The Bible is the Word of God. So faith always starts with the Word of God. It started with the prophecy to Jeremiah that gripped Cyrus's heart. It started with that prophecy that gripped 42,360 people and said, hey, that Word is moving me to act in faith, to trust God enough to do what He says, to hope in what He promises, and to receive what He provides. I'm going to step out in faith with God. This is what Romans tells us faith is. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Faith happens, and remember, God roused the heart. How did he do that? His word hit the heart, and then we respond. So we'll leave. So we'll go. 42,360 of us will respond to the anointed utterance of the anointed one. We'll bank on God's promise. We'll receive what God provides. We'll do what God says. So, so here's how this looks inside your head and soul and heart. Here's how, here's how this looks. You've got a faith self. Your faith self is who you were created to be. You were created to be dependent upon God. Your faith self, Adam and Eve, faith self, who God made you to be, God's purpose, God's identity, that's who you are. God and his spoken word over them, male and female, he created them. Go forth, fill the earth. Just don't do one thing. Just don't take that one piece of fruit. That's all you got to worry about. And then we have our false self. Our false self is me, myself, and I apart from God, which tends to be our agenda, my, my, my agenda, right? What, what about me? What about my? What about I? The false self falls in love with the world. The false self starts to love Babylon more than the promised land. The false self goes by feelings, or if you're not an emotional person, you lean on your own understanding. This is you and me apart from God, okay? So when the Word of God hits your life, when the Word of God hits you, you always have a choice. When an opportunity, a decision, an action uh, comes before you, you always have a choice. Do I respond here or do I respond here? Just this week, my wife and I had an argument. All right? And, and, and here's what I did. Pride and defensiveness. I shut this down. And I spoke to her out of this. When all it would have taken was, I under, baby, I understand what you're saying. But I chose this. What the 42,360 did is they activated their faith before acting. They said, all right, we can stay where we are. Comfortable, familiar. Might be making some money because some rich people left Babylon, by the way. You see that in chapter 2. They said, no, no, no. God and his word are to be trusted, obeyed. God and what he provides is hope is what I need to bank on. And so they activated their faith before acting. 
It's, it, 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 can t- it takes a thousand different ways. It's the guy who's struggling with porn and the biology and mental ruts that have been formed by those images are just going off and going off. But then there's the word of God that says, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. So I'll activate my faith. I want to see God more than I want to see porn. You can't outgive God and you're tempted at 10%. Woo! Woo! You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. So before I write that check, I will activate my faith before acting. Do that in a thousand different ways. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Woo! False self wants to show them a finger. <laughs> faith self says, I need to show them God. Did God give us the finger when we cut him off and said, we'll take Babylon over your promise? No, he didn't give us the finger. He gave us a cross. So you activate your faith before acting. The, the 42,360 illustrate this truth that's true of every single person here, Christian or non-Christian. Our lives always move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Whatever gets your mind gets you. Your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So imagine the strength that God's word had to grip their mind so powerfully that the word of God that I will rebuild, restore, I'll bring you back outweigh the choices and the grandeur of Babylon. Your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What if your strongest thought was this? God loves me. And that outweighed what someone said about you the other day. What if the strongest thought in your mind was lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart and he'll direct your paths. I've made a lot of crooked paths when I didn't lean on God. So I will lean on him, not on myself, not on my false self. I'll activate my faith before acting and I'm going to move in the direction of the strongest thought. And the strongest thought in my life is the faithfulness of a good, good God. Now, now here's, here's, the, here's the challenge, right? Only about 4 to 6% of them, of the Jews in Babylon, trusted God. Most people think there are about 800,000 to 1.2 million Jews in Babylon. And only about 4 to 6% said yes to God. Remember, the king said anybody can go because God's faithfulness creates the opportunity for us to activate faith. And only about 4 to 6% activated their faith. Only about 4 to 6% said, I can only go where God's taken me. The rest said, well, I've got options. 4 to 6% said, it starts here. The narrow way is the way for me. Only 4 to 6%. So I want to ask you some questions here. When's the last time you really acted in faith? Romans 14, 23 says, whatever does not come from faith is sin. When's the last time you ever, you, when's the last time you just took a step of faith? It looked foolish, it felt foolish, felt bold and courageous, and it was against the status quo. When's the last time you did that? Now, now, now for some of you, here's the question. Remember what I said, whatever gets your mind gets you, and you all, your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What have you talked or thought yourself out of that God is trying to take you into? What are you talking or thinking yourself out of that God is trying to bring you into? It's safer to stay here. It's safer to hang out in Babylon. I've got all these choices. My business is thriving. 
but there's a promise. But it's a, it's a narrow way, and it's bold, and it's foolish, and it goes against what I know. Uh, but no, it's better here, safer here, makes more sense. Maybe I'll just wait until things settle down. But there's a promise that God made, and he's faithful. Uh, well, no, no, no. I don't think I can trust him enough yet. What have you talked yourself out of or thought yourself out of? Because you're always moving in the direction of your strongest thought that God's trying to bring you into. So we have to respond to God, don't we? How do we move forward by faith? How do we move forward by faith? I share a few thoughts and we'll pray and respond. First is this. We have, the, we have to em- embrace the contradiction. As the case for faith, not the case against it. There's always going to be a contradiction to the normal, to, the, to what you know, to what's comfortable, to what you feel competent about. There's always going to be a contradiction. All right, here, think about the Bible, the, the Jews. No earthly validation. Four to six percent. If they'd have taken a poll, they'd never left. So many of us, oh, well, everybody's against it. Everybody says I shouldn't do it. Nobody ever moves with God in a majority. God's works always through a minority because most people don't want to exercise faith because they want to be in charge. They want to self-exalt, self-promote, and self-rely and self-guide their lives. But that always ends in Babylon. Minority over the majority and the unseen over the seen. You got to take a dare on the unseen. If you want earthly validation, you'll never walk with God. So you got to embrace the contradiction as the case and the opportunity for faith because God's faithful as opposed to the, the case against faith. Secondly, you recognize that God has provided something that is not yet ours. That, that's what faith is. You, you look out and you're like, man, God has said he wants me patient. It's not yet mine. God has said he wants me to have this kind of marriage. It's not yet ours. God has said he wants his church to be a place where people are saved and, and, and good deeds are done. We're not yet there. God has said he wants us to be a people who love one another. He's, he loves us. We're not yet there. So he's promised something. And I don't yet have it. He's promised something. That I, that, that God, that, that I, wanna, that I think is mine and I want to move forward. So, so you have to make a commitment to walk by faith. And that's to stop measuring your life by your potential, your problems, and your current position. And instead measure your life by God's promises. That's an invitation to live for something bigger than you. That's an invitation to join a story that is bigger than you. An agenda that is bigger than yours. See, so many of us, we shrink our lives down to our natural potential, to our current problems, and our current position or lot in life. Instead of expanding our imagination and our vision, because the Bible says when the Spirit comes out, those young men will see visions and those old men and women will dream dreams. And we start measuring ourselves by our promises or our unclaimed promises or the unrealized promises instead of our potential, our problems, and our position. Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way, where there is no clear prophetic vision or word from God, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the Lord, heaven's bliss fills your soul. Look what he he just told us the funnel, right? When there's no vision, when we're just bouncing around anywhere and everywhere. We're unrestrained, and we end up getting restrained and enslaved in Babylon, don't we? 
But when the prophetic vision takes the weight and becomes the strongest, most dominant thought, we go in that direction and we end up, what does it say? Heaven's bliss fills the soul. Now, here's the challenge. (coughs) Whenever you exercise faith, faith's a verb. Whenever you move in faith, something will always, you always have to leave something, let go of something, or renounce something. You will always have to renounce, let go, or leave. Always. 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 God called up Beth and I to start Rockbridge Community Church 16 years ago. I was leaving the Navy. Never forget, I sat in front of my reactor officer, and he said, Matt, the Navy's offering you a lot of money to stay because they trained me to operate nuclear reactors safely at sea. And he told me the amount. But I knew. I knew I had to go. Always. You have to leave it, let it go, or renounce it. I can't keep doing this and walking with God. I, I can't keep holding on to this, and it's nothing bad. I guess I got to let it go. I, I got to leave Babylon. I got to leave the familiar. I got to leave the comfortable. I got to leave the sinful. I got to leave anything that might distract me from going. So here's the response, church. I believe God is calling not quite 42,360. But I believe God is calling you to walk with him and by faith in some way, in some area, in some situation to have more of him and more of his promises. So here's the invitation. Here's the response. What needs to leave? What do you need to let go? What do you need to renounce? So in every seat back or under the seats on the front row, there's just, a, there's just an index card like this. And here, here's what I want to ask you to do. Would you write down what it is for you to take a true step of faith, trusting God enough to do what he says, to hope in what he promises, to receive in what he provides? What do I need to leave? Or what do I need to let go? Or what do I need to renounce? For 42,360 people, they would have written down the word Babylon, life as we know it. And here's going to be the invitation as we sing a song in just a minute, and I'll pray. You can fold this up if you like. You can leave it open. And these crosses that I told you about a few moments ago, you can go just pin that to the cross and say, God, I'm going to leave this behind. God, I'm going to let go of this. God, I'm going to renounce this. Because I want to walk by faith in you and your promises. Some of you is the day that you need to get saved. That you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Savior of your soul. And the one whom you're going to follow from this day forward. You can just write down new life. New Lord. New Master. Let the Word of God. And the Spirit of God, rouse your heart today like he did King Cyrus and 42,360 Jews who were bold, crazy, foolish enough to leave the status quo, let it go, renounce Babylon, and go to the land of promise.
Let us pray together. God, in front of all of us, we've got a white piece of paper. Nothing more than a symbol, and it needs to reflect what's really going on in our hearts. That you're calling this church to something more. You're calling marriages to something more. You're calling people to something more. Individuals to something more. Businessmen and women to something more. Teenagers to something more. College students to something more. And all you're showing is God is a promise. No, no outcome, no results, no guarantee, just a promise. Will we trust your faithfulness over our own understanding? Will, you, will we prefer your way to our way? So God, whatever we write on this piece of paper needs to be what you're calling us out of, away from, calling us to leave, let go and renounce. And then God, we don't want to move just because maybe someone else does or we feel peer pressure. We want to move because your spirit is moving us. So God, have your way in us. God, I want to pray particularly for men because God, we're sort of naturally kind of suspicious of this kind of stuff. But Lord, I believe for the guys in this room, one of the greatest gifts they could give their, their wife or their kids is to see their dad be like the heads of those families. And they said, we're going. And I'm going to set the example and go first. So God, would you rouse our spirits of all these people from all walks of life. And may we take a step of faith today. That begins with letting go. That begins with leaving. That begins with renouncing. God, lead your people to the land of promise. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.